everyone, and welcome to the second of the English and Creative Writing podcasts at the University of Northampton, Shelf Concerns. As you know, I'm Dr. Claire Allen. I'm a senior lecturer in English at the university. And today on my podcast, we're very lucky to be joined by one of our postgraduate students, Megan. And she's going to... Hello. Hi, Megan. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So my name is Megan Hillier-Broadley, and I am a uh, postgraduate PhD student at the University of Northampton. Brilliant. Thank you, Megan. And today we're going to be thinking about literature and the environment. So obviously we're coming to the end of some of the current government restrictions around lockdown and around the isolation that we've all been experiencing as a result of COVID-19. And I think one of the key things that we all noticed as a result of that was how we were interacting with and perhaps even spending more time in our environment, whether that be kind of our home environment, whether that be kind of spending time outdoors and Megan has a keen interest in literature in the environment as do I so I kind of think about literature from a city perspective from an urban perspective and Megan's looking at it from a slightly different perspective so we thought today we'd explore and think about literature and the environment in lots of different forms but in particularly in relation to the recent events around lockdown so Megan do you just want to tell us a little bit about what your research Yeah, so my my research is about uh, reading the Anthropocene in post-war secondary world fantasy literature. So I'm interested in, you know, this this new geological epoch that's kind of been suggested um, that we have now entered since sort of the, we turned into the millennium in 2000, that um, humans are now having um, the greatest effect on the natural world and we're kind of controlling um, the biosphere, if you like. So I'm thinking about applying all those kind of aspects of the environment on um, literature uh, post-Second World War, specifically Second World Literature. So things like um, Lord of the Rings, um, Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. Brilliant. Thank you. And you, you're just about coming to the end of that that period of research aren't you that that project yes. nearly, nearly finished now nearly in the back nearly <laughs> which, which is good to see and I guess in a way I'm coming in from a slightly different perspective in that um, my book which will be published by Powergrave later this year is about London literature and it's about literature in the city and I think what we want to explore today is I mean when we think about literature and environment we might be very aware of kind of setting we might be very aware of that it's a backdrop to a story but actually there's a there's a lot of research there's a lot of interest in reading literature and the and its relationship with the environment in a different way and of course as, as Megan you were saying in recent times as we're aware of kind of climate changes we're aware of kind of human interaction with the environment we need to think about and perhaps explore that relationship uh, with our environment and, and doing that through the lens of literature can offer us a really rich area of study that really kind of talks to a lot of the concerns that we're going through as a as a species, as a society at the moment, just generally. And then, of course, I think lockdown has, has kind of really drawn our attention to that and has perhaps honed that because, I don't know about you, but two of the things that I was doing during lockdown really was reading and walking you know these are suddenly the only kind of 
the only the two point. things you were uh, the two things you were state mandated to be able to do, weren't they? Exactly. Um, and all of a sudden, you're exploring. You know, I, I live in a flat, so all of a sudden, you're exploring those kind of green spaces that you do have available um, to you. So that's kind of the focus for today. So let's kind of maybe start off by thinking about that. So. Megan, can I ask you, you know, where did you spend lockdown and, and what were you reading? Yeah, so um, I spent a lockdown up in the Lake District, um, kind of in the northwest of the Lake District, just outside a little market town called Cogmouth in a little village just outside of there. And uh, yeah, rather, rather perhaps cliche for being in the Lake District. I was uh, actually reading a lot of William Wordsworth and his sister Dorothy Wordsworth. Um, not just because I, I fancied kind of getting into that romantic spirit because I was in the Lake District. Um, I, I was already up there before, obviously, before the lockdown um, kind of happened. And um, it quite happens to coincide with when the 250-year anniversary of William Wordsworth's birth was um, on the 7th of April. So I'd gone up there kind of at the start of, of March time, thinking that I would go to quite a lot of the um, events that were going to be put on at the Wordsworth Centre. Um, so, you know, Wordsworth was kind of on, on my mind, if you will. So uh, I'd been reading some of the poetry, like The Prelude, and um, another scholar, Jonathan Bate, had just released his new book called uh, Radical Wordsworth. Um, so I was reading that. Um, but I was very much reading Dorothy Wordsworth's Tour of Scotland, um, and it kind of it, it became quite poignant, I suppose, to the situation. You know, the, like I say, the only thing that we were we were able to to do was kind of go out, weren't we, once a day for exercise? And being in the Lake District, it, it kind of got me thinking about what I was doing, where I was going, the access that you have to these green spaces, and it kind of real it, it aligned with what I was reading in a kind of odd sort of way. Um, you know, Dorothy in, in the Tour of Scotland talks about quite a lot of the freedoms that they have. You know, it's, it's a different world in one sense. They would kind of walk quite vast distances, which we, we kind of think about doing now, but they're always planned distances, aren't they? Um, and of course, we kind of couldn't do that under those lockdown conditions, even though you were allowed out yeah, once a day. Sounds like we're letting the dog out. You're allowed out once a day. You, you, you were still restricted on how far you could go. Um, so it was it was quite ironic, really, that what I was reading about was quite a lot of freedom of these green spaces, but I wasn't necessarily experiencing it, even though I was in the kind of actual space and place of being in these green spaces, um, if that follows. Yeah, definitely. So it was kind of, even when you were there, even when you were kind of, you know, obviously we associate the romantic period and the romantic yeah. literature and, and those key writers with that very space that you were currently in um, during your lockdown and you were reading those texts, you still felt kind of distanced in some way because it felt like a different world. So Yeah. Yeah, because we think we think about sorry, but we think about the romantics, don't we, and the wandering around, especially the Lake District, especially those kind of 
first-generation romantic poets like Coleridge um, and Wordsworth and, and unfortunately for him to a lesser degree, Robert Southey, who was kind of up there um, as well. He's always kind of the poor relation of romantic poets sometimes, <laughs> is isn't he? It's not fair to the man, but he, is, he did write some really nice poetry, but unfortunately he kind of is, he is thought of it that way. Um, but yeah, it's all about freedom and it's all about walking around and experiencing nature and that relationship with nature and being in that sort of environment and you weren't experiencing it but then on the other side I was experiencing it in a different way and that I I think I got a lot out of so even though you were restricted and you didn't have those freedoms it made me look at it and experience it a different way you know because you know, we were, we're very lucky where, where our house is. You come out of our house and you, you literally turn the left and you are in open green spaces and fields. And, you know, yeah, you're restricted in one sense because we work as a, the, the uh, time limit that you could kind of conduct yourself to be out and the distance you can travel in that time. But there were lots of different paths that you could take. And I think one of the things that came out of it was exploring it in different ways. You know, being able to take, you know, if, if you like, the, the path less trodden by yourself, even if by nobody else. So you began to experience it in a different way. And it made you think about things in a different way. It made you think about your liberty. It made you think about accessing kind of these spaces in a different way. It made you think about, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about quite a lot, because, you know, running alongside my my thesis research is um, kind of an interest in ecofeminism and and Dorothy Wordsworth and women in the hills and thinking about, you know, where would I walk on my own as a woman, where perhaps I wouldn't walk, should I even be thinking those thoughts, if you see what I mean, you know, and yeah, it's, it's funny that you were restricted, but you found a different sort of freedom. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point, isn't it, in that I think we think about settings in literature and we can often kind of forget the power of them and and perhaps we're more aware Mm. with the romantic poets with kind of certain types of literature about kind of the power of literature the power of the environment within within those texts like you say yes we associate nature and we associate kind of a celebration of nature praising of nature and kind of a, a call for for a better relationship between humanity and nature within those poets, but we mustn't forget that they're actually incredibly radical. You know, the romantics are a radical mm-hmm. movement. They're a radical social movement in many ways, challenging industrialization at the time, challenging issues around class and economics. And, you know, to name but a few of those things, of course, actually feminism, as you say, is, is a key part of what they're, they're talking mm-hmm. about. Slavery is, is there, is, is written about as well and, and critiqued um, by some. All of those things that are, are super relevant to us today you know the feminism you know black lives matter our freedom all of those things are relevant aren't they exactly and i think you know sometimes they can get a bit of a bad rap can't they the romantics all are just thinking about being proud and we just think kind of it's a bit airy fairy and actually we forget the kind of the power of those texts to ask us to really stop and reflect and think about who we are and and think about our situation in the world and certainly you know when we've been studying the romantics this year with our third years we've been thinking about kind of eco-criticism a lot and thinking about the climate change movement this was all pre-covid i I hasten to add but actually as a result of covid you then think actually yeah maybe it's forced us 
to think about our relationship with nature. You know, there's kind of a lot of this notion of kind of um, seeing ourselves as outside of that, separate from that in some way. And I think something like COVID kind of reminds us that no matter what you build around you, actually, you are just part of nature. You are just a being that can be equally affected. Uh, and actually, all of the things that you've built around you can easily be destroyed yeah. as, as a result of, of nature. And I just think, um, yeah, like you say, that, that kind of has perhaps affected our, mm -hmm. our responses or our interaction with literature. Um, I mean, you mentioned kind of your research then, you're kind of obviously, you're thinking about kind of the very contemporary texts, but obviously I guess part of your research has been to think about the environment and literature and the environment throughout its history. So obviously mm -hmm. kind of, I think the go-to people when we talk about literature and nature would be the romantics, but could you say a little bit about kind of what you've been looking into and what you found in terms of how literature is engaged with or represented sort of before that? Predating that. Yeah, well, yeah, it predated that. I mean, and, and of course, you're talking about the Romantics, you're talking about the end of like the 1700s. So, like anything before that, I mean, you can take it all the way back. If, it's, if you want to take it to, to sort of the inception of it, you're probably thinking about kind of like the classic pastoral, and you'd go all the way back to um, Virgil and uh, Theocrates and uh, thinking about the idylls and thinking about Arcadia and all these kind of um, almost prelapsarian sort of settings, if you will, and, and, and thinking about the contrast of the city and the country. And it's interesting, actually, where we, we, we go from that kind of, um, you know, the inception, if you like, of, of literature and these notions of um literature and the environment, and they're still the same juxtapositions and still the same play in the 21st century as there was all the way back there, you know, your classic pastoral engaged in retreat and return, and that you would use sort of retreating out into, into nature to come back to the city with new knowledge, and we do that still now, in a way, uh, and so our, our relationship with the environment it's kind of the same, in, which is interesting in lots of ways. We've always been, um, it's always been a topic of conversation. So you, you're going all the way back to like the ancients. And then, of course, you move very much into the Romantics. Um, you've got the Enlightenment going on before the Romantic period, where they kind of, I wouldn't like to suggest that there was a full rejection of nature, but of course everything was logical and everything was reasoned and everything was thought through. And when you do get to the romantics, you have got that link with literature and emotion as well, which you perhaps didn't have so much during the Enlightenment. And then you move into the Victorian period. And I think then as well, you, you, you see a lot more of um, fantasy getting um, involved in literature in the environment. We begin to see people using fantasy, um, kind of secondary worlds in a way, uh, where you get people like George MacDonald and you get, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget his name, The Water Babies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember his name. It's terrible of me. Um, but you start to see fantasy being uh, involved. And, and we kind of use these secondary worlds, if you like, to go into them to explore our thoughts about what's going on 
in our own world. Kingsley. Is it Charles Kingsley? Kingsley. Yeah. Gosh, that's this is Charles Kingsley. Yeah. This it is, it is. It is. Names escape us. Yeah. It yeah. is. And, and, and it's interesting how we begin to use that kind of fantasy genre to, to really think about it. And George MacDonald liked to do that a lot. You, you, you disappeared perhaps through to a tunnel. You know, you, you, he liked to use that. You, you would um, disappear into... In the, into different worlds, worlds like I said William Morris as well yeah definitely I mean that's the thing isn't it it's it's kind of using it as, as metaphors isn't it it's using it I mean we, we kind of see the creation of utopian spaces as well as dystopian mm -hmm. spaces I mean just you know I'm kind of thinking of in contemporary literature there's been an awful lot of kind of dystopias around um, space yeah, yeah. And environment and um, slightly different tasks. Especially with, um, yeah, sorry, especially with um, what they're calling um, cli-fi, climate fiction, yeah. which very much dates from 2000. And is, is a, it's interesting because you've kind of got, you know, obviously we've always had a relationship with literature and environment. We've always had a relationship with how we dwell and how we kind of treat the environment. And the modern environmental movement, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much agreed that it was triggered by Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in 1962, where she wrote about um, how the pesticides, the dieldrin and the DDT kind of affected the crops and it affected people. Because they used to like, you know, there's some, there's some really good films on YouTube where they used to like spray it in the streets in America to kind of get rid of all the germs and everything. Um, but... but sort of pre-2000 and then post-2000 is interesting where that environmental literature goes because it's almost like uh, the world before we have this knowledge that we're kind of at this threshold event, if you will, of how we've affected the natural world. And then post-2000, you've got a response to it. Now, obviously, that's not saying that there's not been response to it previous to that but we've got this new genre of climate fiction and you, you were saying very much about how um they deal in utopias um that there's a notion that sort of a subgenre of that is scientific utopia and how people are sort of using the scientific method method to sort of create these utopias so a lot of what's going on in the climate fiction is that there's almost um there's almost a response where it's very much a, a parental view that we are saving or we are borrowing, if you like, uh, the environment from our children. And you've got literature like Cormac McCarthy's The Road that's very much from that almost parental point of view. And then you have like a scientific utopian, uh, but not a lot of it at this minute, broad statement here, is necessarily like realist literature. It all tends to deal in, like you say, utopias. Yeah, it was shifted towards that, that fantasy and that escapism. And I guess, yeah. I mean, it was really interesting, wasn't it? One of the first things to come out of lockdown was that people were reading lots of dystopian literature. That that's kind of, you know, that was flying off the shelves, yeah. left, right and centre. And personally, that's not what I was reading. You know, I, I couldn't kind of deal with that because I guess it felt <laughs> like we were in a bit of a dystopia. Um, Mm. You know, and, and actually what I tended to read, it seems the very opposite experience to you in terms of lockdown in that I was in a flat in a town. You know, I don't, I don't really have a garden. Mm. I don't really have access to open space. And I was retreating bizarrely. You know, city literature is my thing, but I was kind of reading, I was reading Emma, Emma McBride's book, Lesser Bohemians. You know, it's kind of about running through the streets of Soho and kind of growing up and 
experiencing those things and I was kind of, I was enjoying it, but somewhat <laughs> sad, you know, kind of <laughs> thinking, will I ever get to go to London again and kind of yeah. run through the streets of Soho should one wish to do so. <laughs> um, but interestingly, my, my point is, I guess, literature and the environment in terms of how literature uses setting there are similarities, even though you're talking about green spaces and, you know, using it to kind of think about our relationship with climate or the seasons or, or you know, kind of romantics think about animals a lot, don't they? Kind of birds or, or whatever, flowers and, and those yeah. sorts of things as well. Whereas literature in the city, a similar journey takes place and then it's about kind of traveling through a city to find yourself to mm-hmm. to grow in some way and that can kind of you know there is that kind of going out and exploring and returning sometimes happening within a city or leaving a city yeah. about like mark haddon's curious incident of a dog in the night time very much a text which kind of i'm going to go to london to find myself oh i hate it and, and kind of retreats and and decides that his life is elsewhere but there seems to be similar themes developing around identity, around understanding yourself differently as a result of interacting with your location or the setting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just important to note that where something is set doesn't necessarily, it's not just a backdrop. I think we can forget about, and perhaps we're scholars that are just interested in this, so we would say this, but we're we're interested (laughs) in kind of the metaphors that can be used around yeah. around setting and kind of what that literature can do with that setting. It's not simply a backdrop. It's not simply just the place where something happens, but actually... Yeah, so yeah it's more. not a happenstance, is it? It's, it's nothing's by accident, is it? But yeah, it, it can be so much more. And in a lot of sort of post-2000, you know, there was that big blot, wasn't there, really, post-2000 of young adult literature, um, like the Hunger Games, um, like the Ugly, Ugly's books, um, uh, Diver- um, what was it? Divergency Trilogy? Yes, 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 Divergent Trilogy. Thank you, pardon, I was going to call it Divergency. Um, <laughs> but, but, but there was this glut of young adult novels where they had a female protagonist, but one of the settings that was always common is they tended to go into open spaces and open green spaces to kind of find themselves in the end and it might be um i think that there's there's an element of playing on the cliche of mother nature and this notion that females are closer to the environment uh, because of the whole reproducing angle um etc but but even in your dystopian novels even in everything yeah there's a place for it and it's always doing something it's a symbol of something isn't it yeah. Uh, like you're saying about running around the running around the city, I suppose you've also got that element now of um, kind of like the concrete jungle, you know, and it, uh, that notion of the jungle is bringing that green space and a roundabout way into it. So, so you've still got that retreat and return from the pastoral, but very much inside that city environment. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a lot of a lot of these kind of protagonists and characters are using kind of the anonymity that the city gives them to kind of do certain mm. things. And again, you, you could kind of really, you could think about that in terms of, you know, how different is that to kind of, like you say, the, the words was going on a 16-mile walk, um, you know, through, through countryside, basically. Um, mm. I'm not saying they're the same in any way, but there were interesting parallels, even though they, those two things might look quite, quite polar, quite opposite. Yeah. Um, in 
in many ways. Um, one thing that did kind of strike me that I thought was really interesting during lockdown was kind of notions of, like you say, you, you mentioned earlier the idea of like treading a path that you haven't gone on before, mm. exploring those things, and I think there's been lots of kind of reports around um, in people kind of seeking different routes, so different ways, yeah. you know, that might be, you know, thinking about our access to green spaces, um, thinking about kind of using bridleways in a different way, or, or you know, we've been um, following blogs of kind of people posting mm. walks that they've been on and then sort of trying to recreate them. And there was, there was kind of really some interesting things around desire paths, you know, kind of people mm -hmm. finding their own way. So there's kind of parks with demarked paths, but then yeah. people sort of, maybe this is more from a kind of town perspective, but kind of thinking, well, I want to be two metres away from people, so I'm not going to go on the demarked path. I'm going yeah. to sort of find my own way. Um, and yeah, I just think there's kind of something interesting to be said there around the impact that humanity is having on environment and kind of how we're interacting with that differently as a result of lockdown. And actually, as we continue to come out of lockdown, I know the restrictions are going to be mm. eased uh, very soon. Some of them already have been, but I think there will be a reluctancy to kind of rush back to those busy, crowded yeah. areas and people will still be wanting to engage uh, with, with open spaces. So, I don't know, is there anything that we can kind of take away from this period? So, anything that we can kind of learn, either from your reading or from your research during lockdown, mm. about kind of our relationship with the environment and kind of literature's place and role within that? Yeah, and I, th I think that there is, and I think some of it is negative and some of it is positive. You know, um, during the lockdown, the Office of National Statistics did a, um, a, a survey and produced data that they published uh, via the Ordnance Survey, which suggested that um, only 12% of households in Great Britain have... Um, uh, 12% of households in Great Britain, Big Garden, have no access to a private or shared garden. And when we think about that, that's quite a lot of people. And as the population grows, that's only going to go up. So we are going to have to think about ways where people can access these spaces. And I think that what we are seeing now as we come out of it is that people are actually mistreating a lot of those green spaces, you know, all throughout lockdown, especially, but even, even now before a lot of those restrictions have lifted, there's been quite a lot of abuse of, of the national parks, like the national, uh, like the Lake District. People are illegally camping, people are leaving an awful lot of rubbish behind. And I think we're seeing that in the green spaces in cities as well very much it's just scattered everywhere people are rightly um meeting in them in in the groups that they're allowed to meet in but they are leaving everything behind and there is a saying in the national parks that you leave nothing behind but your footsteps and that's not what is happening and i know that the um the uh, writer and academic robert mcfarlane is in talks with people to rewrite the country code and um, I think that's a positive move forward of how we can access these green spaces. Um, in relation to literature, I think that a positive to come out of it would be to kind of engage with a lot of those um, 
a lot of those uh, a lot of that literature if you will that if it does nothing else but inspires you to kind of access them um, it doesn't have to be literature that's necessarily a narrative if you will there's a lot of different guides out there that, that, that can sort of send you different ways and they don't have to be um like the, the, the same paths everybody takes i think that, that you should take inspiration from them to where you can safely and legally access those different green spaces then you should endeavor to do it um, but yeah I, I very much found myself finding different ways because even though we had access to all this open space you know, there's only so many times you can do the same loop. So you want to find different paths to tread. Um, but what's quite interesting, if you do a bit of research around your area, around the public bridleways, around the public path uh, footpaths, is that you tend to have things crisscrossing counties, like um, the Three Shires Way. And that kind of goes all the way from... Um, Certainly, I know where it starts in Milton Keynes, but that takes you sort of 40 odd miles to Cambridge, which is quite an interesting challenge to think about doing. There's the um, Men Valley Way that you can walk from Northampton and around Northampton uh, and different kind of um, footpaths like this going through woods. Yes, it's nice to to stick to the path and you don't want to trample over anything definitely that's going to send you any, uh, you know, cause any danger to the, to the local environment. But it's perhaps nice to kind of go different paths and, and see different things and, and create your own way. Um, and I think reading literature, engaging with literature can kind of inspire you, if nothing else, to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, kind of we come full circle, we come back to, in a way, those romantics, don't we? And I think, mm. you know, a takeaway for me, I keep being reminded of, you know, one of my favourite poets, again, underrated, um, and certainly someone we should be championing at the University of Northampton, is a poet, John Clare, mm. you know, kind of a, mm -hmm. a, a local lad in many ways. Yeah. He kind of records simplicity, doesn't he? And, and his relationship with nature, you know, he talks about very troubled times, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. all clean sailing, it's not all kind of idyllic. There are some very difficult and challenging themes around mental health issues, yeah. obviously, if, any, if anyone knows anything about that poet. And I think, to me, he's a very important person to be thinking about right now because I think, you know, yes, we said the two key things that come out of lockdown has probably been reading and, and kind of walking and, and getting mm. outside there. But of course, we've got to think about mental health issues yeah. as well. And I think a lot of those poets write about those things, don't they? You know, kind of mm -hmm. um, maybe the second generation, if you say, as some of those romantics, certainly something that kind of um, Shelley and, and Byron and Blake are writing about kind of not only social Keats, concerns. very Keats, much, yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, so maybe kind of uh, be inspired by it and, and go and do some research around those poets just to kind of think about how these things intersect. And I think that's kind of what we've been all been learning as a result of COVID is maybe things need to change. Maybe we need to imagine things differently and maybe we can't see all of these things as separate. And I think in many ways, the romantic poets were really kind of foregrounding a lot of those ideas about the intersection between the mm -hmm. key ideas that were perhaps fascinated in at the moment around environment, mental health, and kind of revolution. And I mean yeah. that in its broadest sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Claire very much. Um, so especially in, in one of his poems, like to the snipe, where he's talking about you know he's talking about the birds kind of being on their own and being isolated and you can kind of hear 
the rest of the world encroaching upon it and that isolation you know it's all representative of isolation isn't it and symbolic of that um, especially like you say for somebody that was going through the kind of mental health problems that he is so so we can find um we can also find a connection within that literature as well. It doesn't have to just be about being out in, in green spaces, does it? You know, like you say about being being in cities, perhaps being in a flat, being tucked away, you know, reading literature like that, you know, especially about, again, it feels like a cliche in some ways, but I hesitate to use the word universal when it comes to some things, but, you know, the romantics kind of spoke about and used birds as symbols of various things, didn't they? And and I think freedom as well, in one sense, is is a underrated thing to think about how it can make you feel and how it can give you a connection to something and how it might give you respite in something as well. Just finding that connection in a poem or in a story um, that you can connect with that gives you the sense of something if you are very much um, isolated in your your world as is, literature does have the power to give you that, you know, and thinking about the environment can, you know, even if you can't get out in it, you can get out in it in your head. Yeah, definitely. One of one of my kind of key reads has actually been Patti Smith's Year of the Monkey. And in, and in that, mm. it's, it's not really about the environment in any way, shape or form. It's about kind of suddenly your plans being changed. And this is because a dear friend of hers becomes very ill and a planned trip doesn't happen. Um, but she very much kind of talks about getting out of your head, you know, kind of getting out yeah. of this current situation that you're in in your head. And she's, it's very much about fantasy and imagination. Um, and, you know, to me, I've, I've really enjoyed reading that during that time because it's just helped for me to think about things differently. And I think as we're moving forward, like you say, we're returning to those old questions around our relationships with the environment, our access to the environment, our kind of rights that we have to it, and yeah. as in to use it, but also to look after it, you know, kind of the responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. And perhaps through this whole... Um sorry, through the whole thing, I was thinking about what you were just saying about our responsibility to it. And through the whole pandemic, um, Chris Packham has been, you know, trying to carry on his um, sort of campaign to stop the HS2, um, you know, rail route being, being just driven through so much green space. And we need to think about those things. We need to think about how the pandemic as well has um, changed our biosphere. Pollution has dropped. We've not been driving. Uh, we've not been, you know, the factories haven't been pumping out so much pollution as they were before. And we need to make those decisions very quickly as well about whether we want to go back to that or we want to take this as an opportunity to drive it forward and, and really think about what we are doing and whether we can sustain some kind of change coming out of this. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of talk about the new normal at the moment, isn't there? Yeah. And I think that's the thing. The literature can help us to, to remind us of the power of the imagination, to imagine mm. the world anew, to imagine things differently, um, and therefore the possibility. Um, and, and maybe yeah. we don't all want to rush as much as I can't wait to get back to running around the streets of London. Um, maybe we don't all want to rush back to that world as was, but we can take this pause to reflect and, and maybe see. Yeah. And maybe access it in a different way. 
Yeah, use it. Use. I mean, you know, these are very problematic words, aren't they? But that, that engage with the environment differently. Okay. Right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our second podcast. I hope you've enjoyed thinking about literature and the environment. So I'd just like to say a very big thank you to Megan for sharing her expertise and her research today. And I hope you listen in soon to our next podcast. Thank you very much and goodbye.